Hi, welcome to the McIver Newsmakers Podcast. I'm Bill Osmolsky, and I'm joined by Ku Shong. She's a physician assistant at Redcliffe Community Health Center. Ku, thank you very much for being with us this morning. Yeah, it's my pleasure. So we have you on the, uh, the Newsmakers Podcast today to talk about... Uh, the physician assistant um, bill that's working its way through the Capitol that would make it um, make it a little bit easier for physician assistants to uh, operate in Wisconsin. Probably, you know, the best way that I try to describe this to people is it's kind of like you have nurse practitioners now who operate somewhat, not, not exactly autonomously, but pretty close. And it's, you know, done a lot to help the state fill its critical um medical uh, care shortages and it sounds like this this bill with physician assistance is kind of aimed at doing the same thing um could you just you know tell us a little bit about your work on the reservation and how uh being a physician assistant um how you're able to kind of fill some of these critical gaps in the uh, healthcare system that you know otherwise might just go unfulfilled yeah, so I work um, in the Redcliffe Community Health Center. We are a tribal health care center, but we also have FQHC status. That stands for Federally Qualified Health Center. And that essentially means that beyond being a, a tribal health center, we, we see non-natives. So in my practice, I see largely uh, native patients, but I also see non-natives in the surrounding communities. We do serve um, several of the smaller communities that surround the reservation here in Bayfield. Um, I started here in 2012, and uh, it's it's a primary care clinic, and so we offer services for, um, for newborns through through. Uh, the dying years, you know, the, 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 the time when people are at the end of their lives. My physician um, that I first started with was very versatile. He trained in a time period when general practitioners were taught to do a lot of things, deliver babies and cast and splint. And, and so when I started with him, uh, I learned all of those things under his guidance other than delivering babies. That was one service we didn't provide. Um, and uh, nowadays, I continue to offer those services to the population here, which is great. Um, in terms of, so we are a health we are a healthcare center in a rural setting uh, on top of being in a tribal setting. And so we're talking about the nearest primary care clinic, um, 40 miles away from us, uh, and then specialty care can be anywhere from just 40, 40 minutes away to an hour and a half away, all the way in Duluth, Minnesota. Yeah, so where so, where exactly is the Red Cliff, uh, the Red Cliff Reservation? I mean, like, what county is that in? Uh, so are, I take it you're, I get the impression you're kind of in between Ashland and, and Duluth. Yes, we are. So we're right on Lake Superior. Um, just a little north of Ashland, Wisconsin, and we're in Bayfield uh, County. So how many, you're, you're, um, there, there aren't many clinics, obviously, in that area. I mean, what is, when, when you have a doctor at that clinic, where, how far away is the, other, is the next nearest doctor? Uh, my patients would have to drive anywhere from 30 to 40 minutes um, to go to the next nearest primary care clinic. 
depending on exactly where they live uh, on the reservation or right outside the reservation. Okay, so what kind of team do you have at the clinic? Like uh, how many doctors, how many PAs, how many, uh, how many nurses? So currently we have a pediatrician. We have a medical doctor who is part-time. We have myself and a nurse practitioner. So there's two medical doctors and then a nurse practitioner and myself. Well, so so we've got uh, nurse. So what was? I'm sorry, that was like four and a half. <laughs> so that, so that's four four providers, including the part time. Yes. Wow. So so essentially three and a half <laughs> for about 150 square miles. Well, we're talking about a thousand square miles, a little over wow. a thousand square miles. Um, wow. Radius. Yep. For for. So for people in, in this rural community, if they don't choose to come to us, you know, they're, they're traveling quite a distance to go to primary care. Um, uh, and again, you know, it's, it's a nurse practitioner full-time, me full-time. The pediatrician, is, she doesn't work Fridays, so she's only here Monday, Monday through Thursday. And so Friday, uh, it's just me and the nurse practitioner. Um, and and this, this really touches on critical health care shortage. You know, we have a shortage of medical providers across the board, shortage of NPs, shortage of PAs, shortage of physicians. And so our profession really does help fill in this gap of shortages. When I came here in 2012, um, there they had a nurse practitioner before me, and she had left a little over a year and a half prior to me coming, and it took them that long to be able to recruit me to come here. Um, and in 2015, when my supervising physician left, it took us uh, two and a half years to recruit another uh, supervising physician to take his place um, to, to, uh, to stay permanently. Everybody else was more of a locum. Well, well so, so, so the the way the um, the way it's structured right now is um, PAs need a lot. Of, you know, pretty strict uh, supervision requirements for PAs. And um, how does um, so what is the current arrangement? What, what is the current requirements for, um, for you to actually uh, practice? So I need to have a, a, a quote-unquote supervising physician, and I have to send um, a form into the state to, to show that I have a supervising physician under which I practice. And uh, we have to have a, an agreement uh, in the clinic on an annual basis, it has to be renewed. My supervising physician needs to go through my prescriptive practices, my clinic notes, and it, it depends on from practice to practice. It really depends on how many they have to review. But on an annual basis, um, they would review so many number of those notes or those prescriptions and sign off on them. And then they are required to document that this is being done consistently. So how is it different from, uh, like, what kind of arrangement can the, uh, the nurse practitioner operate under? Is she under the same types of restrictions that you are? She is not. She is not. And the, and the, so the irony of it all is that she's not, uh, but she practices exactly the same <laughs> as I do. She provides the exact same services. Um, she does have to have a collaborative agreement, um, but if she uh, has been trained to do certain things that the physician isn't trained to do, she can continue to offer them. Yeah, and yeah. that's one of 
Yeah, I was just going to say, I mean, that, that's one of the things that's really st- stood out to me is, you know, you talk about, you know, the first physician that you, that you, that you worked under, and uh, they were able to teach you all kinds of, you know, you, you learned a lot under that physician. But then when the next physician came in and had different, a different background and hadn't been trained in all those things, you could no longer provide those services because your supervisor wasn't. Uh, exactly. <laughs> so yeah, and, and so the, the state law, as it stands currently, it, it, uh, it basically is saying if my new physician doesn't have the same training as I do, then I'm not competent to pr- pr- provide these services. And how, how can that be, you know? At the very bottom line, it's, it, it really is about patient care. And this, this affected me quite drastically. You can imagine, you know, the, the next, in two and a half years, um, in the two and a half years that my, my first supervising physician left, we went through five different physicians who, who came and went. And they all had varying levels of training, but none of them were as comprehensive as my own training. Um, they didn't offer, for example, uh, endometrial sampling, casting and splinting. So if anybody came in and didn't, did, did, we thought there was a fracture, we had to send them to ortho. Um, joint injections for like uh, long-standing arthritis, they, they didn't do it. And so it was a big problem. It was a big burden for my patients and for the clinic. Well, I can imagine too, like for you, I mean, first of all, you probably need to have a list of every, you know, you have the list of what you what you know how to do and what you're training how to do, and then you probably have your list of you know as each of the physicians come in, you got to cross things off. Okay, this person doesn't know how to do this, so I can't do this anymore. And then yeah, that's that's what we did. Yeah. I had to sit down with them and say, I do this, 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 and this. Do you do that? And it was all no, 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 no. Yeah, and then you, then you have your patients too, where it's like, what what do you mean you can't can't set my 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 kid's broken arm yet? You just set my other kid's broken arm last year. Right. Yeah. I had patients look at me like, "Are you sure you're a medical provider? How can you suddenly just not do it?" Um, patients don't understand these laws, and a lot of medical providers, uh, physicians don't understand these laws that govern us. Really. Now. You you were telling, during your testimony, you brought up an incident where, you know, this played out pretty, you know, th- th- these have, you know, had some pretty, uh, I guess, emotional uh, exchanges with patients, you know, after, you know, you know, who, who are in need of medical services and you got to tell them, hey, you, you got to go someplace else. Yes. Yes. What was that one? So, inc- yeah. So what was that one incident that you that you brought up uh, during the hearing? So my supervising physician left, and the the next one came on board, and she um, had to leave unexpectedly because of an emergency. And so because she left unexpectedly and was no longer employed by the tribe, I there was nobody to fill in her place, and so I didn't have a supervising physician, which means that everything that I can do, I, I just can't do. So I, we canceled all my, for that day, all the patients scheduled for me, which was, it was a full schedule. Um, and then patients who needed their medications refilled, I couldn't fill. I, I suddenly just couldn't fill meds that I had filled forever. You know, up here, I practice with my own panel of patients. Um, the need is critical enough that I have my own panel that I manage, and I consult with my physician when I need to for more complex cases. And so their heart failure meds, their uh, 
blood thinners, um, their omeprazoles for reflux. I just suddenly couldn't fill. And I had a patient, I remember this very clearly. It was so ridiculous me, ridiculous to me, so it sticks out in my mind. He was due to get his warfarin renewed, and I had managed his, warfarin is a blood thinner. I'd managed his um, warfarin for, since I came to practice here. And he called the pharmacy to get it renewed, and we had to tell him, we're so sorry, but we can't do it. And he had to go to the emergency room to get it renewed so he would not run out of meds. Uh, so it, it really, the, the law is, is restrictive to the point where it, it really is harmful to patients. And the current legislation that is being debated uh, in Madison is, is going to change that. So I... So this is the second podcast I've done on this issue, and I was really taken back by some of the response that I got to the first podcast. And apparently, you know, there, there's a lot of people out there that say that physician assistants are not physicians, so they shouldn't be practicing medicine, which um, struck me as I was, I was surprised by that, honestly, because, you know, at, for forever, you know, you go to the doctor's office and... The person you come in, and the person that's giving you most of your care is typically a nurse. And you know, in my experience, usually, you know, at the very end of your visit, the doctor will come in for two minutes, check everything, and then, then you know, that's that. So the idea that you have to be a doctor to perform routine care kind of floored me a little bit. That that's you know such a you know common criticism out there. And I mean, how do you how do you respond to that type of criticism? And how do you kind of you know, explain, you know, how do you kind of justify your profession, I guess? We've been practicing medicine uh, medicine for almost 50 years now. We've been part of the, part of the healthcare community. Um, and many, many patients come in and they see us and they, they may not even know that they saw a PA. Um, in many, many practices, especially in primary care, I don't do a lot different than my physician. You know, I can see where in specialty care, I know there are certain just specialty clinics where the physician takes them into surgery and then the physician assistant sees them after the surgery and sees them right before the surgery. But even in specialty care, the, the physician assistant is right there alongside the physician delivering care. Um, and our care is is, um, is just as good. You know, I, I think that we have one of the lowest rates of malpractice suits or lawsuits. Um, so we're there. We're we're not going to go away. Uh, I think that our profession is going to expand, and it needs to expand because there is a critical healthcare shortage uh, all across the nation, not just in rural areas, but but in inner city. Um, it, and it touches every every socioeconomic status. Why is there so much resistance to PAs um, entering into this more collaborative relationship as opposed to a supervisory relationship with uh, with uh, physicians? I think a lot of it is fear of the unknown. Um, where we are right now. Um, physicians are comfortable with it, you know, and administrators are to some degree comfortable with it. They know what they're doing. We're proposing a piece of legislation that I don't think is very radical at all. 
Uh, in fact, I think it, it more accurately reflects what actually is going on on a day-to-day basis in, in clinics and hospitals all across the nation. But it's this fear that, that um, this fear of the unknown. You know, when we were in testimonials, uh, several physicians uh, brought up the, the fear that if this passed, if this piece of legislation passed, then PAs would just become these, these independent medical providers who would branch off on their own and basically do things that are, are unethical, immoral, start, start seeing patients and doing things that we're not trained to do. And I, you know, I, I, that is a worst case scenario. That's looking at the picture as bleakly as possible. I think that all healthcare professionals are highly educated. They uh, go into practice with with good training, and they have a moral and ethical compass that guides their day to day practice. Uh, the way I practice currently, I have my supervising physician. She's not here full time, and we don't have great cell service on the reservation uh, and uh, in the local communities. So there are times when I can't contact her, and who do I contact? I contact Essentia Health Med Direct. I talk to a specialist about a case that is a little more complex that I want a bit more guidance on, you know, in terms of maybe medication management or or this patient uh, right now, this is the clinical picture, are we looking at admission? And um, there are lots and lots of resources for everybody to to be able to access, there's up to date. There's uh, med consults that you can do. It'd be great if you had a colleague just across the hall to speak to all the time, but I don't, and I work around it this way. And these resources are available everywhere. And so the idea that if we, if this piece of legislation passes, we're just gonna do so much harm is, is just not true, because already. I practice the way that we are proposing that this piece of legislation gets passed. I work in collaboration. My supervising physician has not been in to see my patient along with me for years. And uh, so when a patient is complex, I come out and I, I may say, look, this is what's going on. What are your ideas? What do you think? And she does the same with me. You know, when she first came on uh, less than a year ago, She'd never done diabetic foot exams. And so guess who taught her diabetic foot exams? I did, right? And so we, we need to work in a team-based model where we also feel like uh, we can give as much to them as they give to us because we are partners. We're, we're not lesser than they. Yeah, I mean, uh, you know, you, you start to get into semantics too, like, okay, you're a physician assistant. Okay, does that mean that an assistant is essentially just an intern or do you actually... You know, does the physician actually do you, do you actually help support the physician, or is the physician just supervising you? So I mean, it's kind of like in the name when you really break it down, too. Yes, uh, yes, and that's been that's been a source of confusion, definitely. And I mean, ultimately, I mean, if I were to summarize this bill to you know just a layperson, I think I would you know the way I would describe it, summarize it is just this puts physician assistants on the uh, on par with uh, nurse practitioners. It kind of, you know, puts them on the same playing field, I guess. Yes, exactly. You know, and then one other thing that I just kind of want to touch on. Um, so, I mean, you provide a lot of routine medical care. Uh, 
And it's, you know, a lot of this, this routine care is if the patient doesn't receive this routine care, it can become an emergency. I mean, you're talking about, you know, heart medication, blood thinners, things like that. So if you have to turn away patients because suddenly, you know, your new physician doesn't know anything about, you know, heart conditions, um, this, these situations that can be dealt with routinely and cost effectively and, you know, at your level can very easily become medical emergencies if the patients don't have the means to address them other ways. Exactly. Yes, you 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 have that spot on, and um, you, you know I, I think that the the issue touches on all socioeconomic levels, but the, the ones who are most affected, I think, are the ones who don't have the means um, to for good access. They they either. Um, they struggle financially, they don't have a car, uh, they don't have good access to transportation. And up here, we don't have the, the best transport, uh, public transport system. Um, a lot of my patients, when they are required to go into the ER, uh, unfortunately and sadly, we've had to uh, use our clinic vehicle or um, have the ambulance take them because they don't have a car and they, they, there's nobody who can give them a ride. Um, and so when we're talking about access to service uh, and what PAs can provide and what this law can do for us, and at the bottom line, it, it's really about the patient. Now, Ku, where did you live before you, uh, before you lived in north, uh, northern, northwest Wisconsin? Um, I grew up in La Crosse, Wisconsin, which is not too yeah. far from Madison. Yeah, so an urban area. What has what surprised you the most about about uh, living in on the Red Cliff Reservation. So in La Crosse, La Crosse has two big health organizations. There's Gunderson Lutheran, a big big health system there, and then there's Mayo Clinic, um, healthcare systems, which is also there. And we, growing up, we could go to the clinic and the hospital was just across the the way. Um, and if you needed to see a specialist, and it was like the floor up two floors up. And when we came here, I was really, really shocked that patients had to travel as long as they did to access some of the care that they needed. Um, rural and small means there's there's less in terms of uh, offerings. You know, my, my there's a little rec center here, but it's certainly not a YMCA. There's a little grocery store here, but it closes by seven every night. Um, so on many, many levels, it's, it's a completely different world. You, you know, our county only has, I think, one red light and several stop signs. Yeah, so you have to, so when you come down to Madison to testify for a bill like this physician assistance uh, bill, you, uh, shock. yeah, you have a real challenge too to communicate, you know, the reality <laughs> of what you deal with down in a, in a city like Madison. <laughs> Yes. Well, Ku, thank you very much. Is there anything else that you'd like to, to mention about this uh, before we go? Um, I think we pretty much covered it. Great. Well, hey, thank you very much for, for taking the time for, uh, to be with us today. Yes, it's my pleasure. It was wonderful to talk about this. I think there needs to be uh, uh, more and more conversations about this, and hopefully, you know, this piece of legislation passes and and 
I don't think it, it can do anything but good for my patients up here and for myself as a professional. Sounds good. Well, thank you again very much for being with us. And thank you to uh, everyone that tuned in for uh, this week's McIver Newsmakers podcast. Uh, be sure to visit us again uh, next time at McIverInstitute.com. And for the McIver Institute, I'm Bill Smolski.